0: one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and we're back! i'm trying so hard not to scream directly into the mic because i don't want to blow out your eardrums but oh my god it has been so long and i'm so happy to be back delicately leaning over my mic terrified i'm gonna smack it and cause a bunch of background noise that i'm not skilled enough to edit out but regardless this is a great day we are back and we have some news that i'm just gonna get through right at the top we are switching some things up slightly here on Very Amusing, so I wanted to break down the changes that you'll see throughout the rest of the year from the get-go. But don't worry, don't worry, it is all good stuff. It all just means more episodes of Very Amusing, which I, I hope is the end goal. Now, as you know, we took two months off, and I didn't like being gone for so long. And I know and and hope you didn't like it either. So we're trying to work on that. One way we're solving that problem is with episode runtime. Going forward, you might see some shorter episodes, because I am told by everyone on my team that I am doing way too much, and they are way too long and then I just disappear into the night for three months which is annoying and I completely understand why. So listen, note taken. Don't be surprised if those two-hour gut busters are a thing of the past but I will do my best to keep things tight and tubular. I can't think of another t-word. That's uh, moving on. We will also somewhat slightly be expanding the topics covered here on Very Amusing. For the past, uh, holy cow, two years? That can't be right. For the past mm, however much, we've been focused on reported stories exclusively, and I've been very blessed to be granted access to many of the ones I wanted to tell. But there are some constraints at this point in the game. Namely, that the rest of my stories on my dream list have not yet gotten approval, despite repeated asks, and that there are less frequent theme park openings than there used to be, so we'll be ever so slightly expanding our podcast purview starting this year. We will still remain squarely in the Disney and Universal theme park lane, as there is so much much more to these theme parks we have never even begun to discuss, including how you visit them. And considering Disney's procedures have completely up and changed with reservations and lightning lanes and that old Disney genie, we will be folding in a few episodes to help you with your future travels as well. Essentially, the core of Very Musing We'll stay the same. The reported episodes will remain. The Hidden Mickey episodes will remain. We will just be adding a few extra interviews and guides and helpful deep dives into the mix so that we don't have to just take two months off ignoring the podcast entirely while staring at a blank document to see if we can feasibly track where a limo that was used in the park in the 1980s is today. Because ugh, that doesn't lead to a good result and that document is still blank. All that means on your end is that there will be more very amusing, more often, so we will not have to go on this weird break like we did for the past two months. Yeehoo! And this week we are back, and we are, are back for the f- the future, for as long as this mic still plugs into my MacBook. We are back, and we are talking Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And not just that it's a ship on land, in space, in Florida, no, no, we're going to talk about every detail you and I care about that didn't fit into a Twitter thread or an Instagram post. Did I hold back some thoughts and opinions and observations for us to gab about here exclusively? Yes, yes, I did. So I promise this won't be a rehashing of my stories or Instagram posts, but just you and I, sitting down for virtual blue milks. Let's just say Mustafarian mocktails, okay? You and I sitting down to a couple of those, chit-chatting about what it was really like to spend 45 hours in fake space. Now, before we cheers, because it has been too long and we have way too much to celebrate, I want to clarify where we stand with spoilers for these episodes. This episode, today's episode, is as spoiler-free as it can possibly be. We will discuss my experience, my opinions, and my main takeaways from my two nights aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. but we will not be mentioning any specific show scenes, character interactions, or details of the grand finale on the second night. Next week, I'll be doing all of that and taking you through a kind of audio tour of the ship, scenes from ship muster, bridge training, and yes, the culmination of all activities on board at the end of the sailing. In plain terms, This episode that you're listening to right now aims to answer Is it worth it? While next week's episode will be more about What is it like and what did you do? Cool? Cool. We'll take a quick break from our Earthbound sponsors and be right back with my many hot takes about Disney's new Star Wars hotel experience and if it's the right choice for you. Stick around. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince, but no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses, and the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. They're up here with Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym it kinda gotta look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings, and when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for. Which really kinda makes me love these three times more. I'm not only gonna buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey and here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing.
1: Our family has grown.
0: to our galactic star cruiser bonanza i'm sure many of you have seen my many stories and posts throughout the past week but if you've found yourself here on this distant podcasting planet wondering what is this woman talking about never fear allow me to quickly explain to you what is even going on walt disney world just opened star wars galactic star cruiser It's two-night, three-day getaway developed in tandem with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme park land. Though it's a hotel by design, the big sell here is a wholly immersive environment that, both through actors embedded in the journey and choose-your-own-adventure-style gameplay, you relish in without interruptions of the outside world. Such is the way aboard the Halcyon, a ship operated by Shandrila Starline, a luxury cruise outfitter. The Halcyon operates like a cruise on land and a ship in space simultaneously, as employees, onboard activities, push-to-open sliding doors, and glitzy golden design details all reinforce the idea that you are now a character in the world of the Star Wars film franchise, and you can live as though it is all real. Wear a costume, be a first-order sympathizer, complete tasks and attend secret meetings to help overthrow the ship's leaders or work to save a droid from demise. The signs in the bathroom are in Arabesh, the button to alert housekeeping is a small icon of a droid, and no earthly terminology will go unnoticed. There is food with recognizable flavors that look distinctly different, Star Wars characters both familiar and foreign, and plenty of activities I can't wait to give my honest opinion about. We will dive much, much deeper into the journey as a whole in next week's episode, but this week's is dedicated to the most pressing question I've gotten since the day I announced I'd be sailing on this thing. Is it worth it? I've worked long and hard on my answer to that and discovered this is actually two questions in one. The first, is this price for real? And the second, should I do this? Work best if I address them separately. But first, I wanted to reiterate my sentiments from Friday, when we were first allowed to discuss our visit. In my opinion, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is a chaotic delight, a kind of Disney escape that's uniquely special yet completely bonkers. Far from perfect, the storyline I found to be overwhelming, certain experiences underwhelmed me, and some promises went unkept, it still remains an immersive triumph in spite of its flaws. It is an inventive experiment, a journey so nutty you almost can't believe it exists. Blending immersive entertainment, dinner theater, attraction design, and corporate synergy into one livable expanse, Star Cruiser is, as I have and will continue to call it, delightfully unhinged. How else can you describe a vacation where you sleep inside a windowless Star Wars space yacht that's forever moored alongside Florida's Interstate 4 highway? As I wrote for Eater, it's not quite Westwood by way of Naboo, but the closest you'll get to playing pretend Padawan that Disney's offered to date, on par with the experience of Savi's workshop stretched across three days. The design, scale, and execution is flawless. Far beyond a standard Star Wars-themed space, you'll emerge bewildered by all of it, particularly how normal it felt. The onboard bar, Sublight Lounge, puts Oga's Cantina to shame, and destroying strangers as kids at the holo Sabak table really makes play gambling all the more fun. Even Batu was a highlight, right down to the fully-themed transport vehicles, a flawless effect that gives Galaxy's Edge its own Hogwarts Express. I found the ride to be bumpy in a fun way, but I could see how someone with a belly full of Ronto wrap might not love getting jostled around that way. I adored Owani, a Rodian music lizard lady who speaks Huttese and performed with Gaia at the first night's dinner, whose songs, by the way, Gaia's songs, were absolute bops. I'm out here begging for them to drop the soundtrack so we can all enjoy the tunes because they're legitimately good. Watch this space because I do intend to report on this further. We'll get into discussions on price in extensive detail soon, but I found myself more immediately preoccupied not with the price, but with its rapid pace. There is so much going on too much to see and do, to the point where Star Cruiser really would have excelled as a three-night journey, or even just been three short hours longer. It felt lickety-split because participation is the name of the game here on Galactic Star Cruiser. The more you lean in and complete digital odd jobs for these characters, the more action you'll be privy to. When you participate wholly and completely in the story, it's magic. But even as a casual player, it's... Exhaustive and exhausting. You can't do it all, and yet the messages and the tasks just keep on coming. Some passengers found that gameplay to be delightful. For many, that's the reason they're going. But for me, personally, who is more so interested in themed entertainment, it was a bit daunting. There are some definite misses here. No cantina band in their on-board, private Star Wars bar is blasphemy. And one singular droid rolling around the atrium actively works against the belief that this is all real. I mean, is it actually Star Wars if you look around and almost entirely see human-presenting faces? Not really. And those long-held promises of your reputation truly following you from Millennium Falcon Smuggler's run don't come to fruition. And yet, even with all that, I feel confident saying it will absolutely shake up your brain and change the way you experience Walt Disney World. Because that's what happened to me. There's some kind of magic in a bottle happening within that cruise hotel's walls. An aggressively inventive creation that excels on so many levels. Whatever is happening here, it's as unique as it gets. And completely flips the Disney World experience as we know it, on its side. As you know, I, like many, many others, attended a press preview of Galactic Star Cruiser for work as an invited guest. This threw the internet into a bit of a tizzy. I can only assume this vibe shift happened because, unlike a new restaurant or attraction, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is not accessible to everyone. The prices keep increasing at Disney's theme parks year over year. Just look at the $155 one-day weekday ticket I just bought for DCA with Genie Plus. Oh my god. The parks are still somewhat accessible. Somewhat. Star Cruiser, on the other hand, is an intimate, specialized getaway for a very small amount of people. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime excursion, if you're lucky enough to swing it, and the pricing reflects that. Essentially, not all vacations can be honeymoons, and not all Disney trips can be this. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser costs a good chunk of change, and the Walt Disney Company really doesn't want me to say that. But it's true! Pricing starts at around $4,800 for two people, $5,200 for three, and a buck shy of $6,000 for four. And that's the low end, so depending on travel dates, it will likely be higher, making it significantly pricier than even a Disney cruise for a much shorter period of time. It seems astronomical at the jump, but by day two, I started to carve out how they got to that figure. And I regret to inform you, the pricing kinda makes sense. I know, I know. I don't want to hear that either. Don't freak out. But it's not an opinion. It's, it's the math, and I'm happy to show my work and how I got there. We'll begin with lodging. Those sample prices I mentioned are for dates in mid-August to mid-September. A club-level room at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa during that time, which is on par with the concierge treatment a Star Cruiser stay provides, is around 1060 to 1100 a night before tax. Star Cruiser is more premium than Grand Floridian, but even still, you're looking at about $2,500 for room and service alone. We'll proceed forward as an adult family of two, just to make things easier. Remember, their Star Cruiser rate starts at $4,800. You've got two buffet-style breakfasts and two buffet-style lunches included in the sailing. Walt Disney World buffets currently charge $42 $42 for adults for breakfast, and $55 per lunch, clocking in at nearly $200 before tax. Star Cruiser's inventive menu with grilled cheese bubble waffles and kadu smoked ribs and the best scotch egg, corndog-battered concoction thing I've ever had are far more premium offerings than Chef Mickey's sausage links and potato cheese casserole, so I think it's fair to round up ever so slightly to $250. Total thus far, before dinner, $27.50. With a fixed menu, multiple courses, dedicated wait staff, and live entertainment thanks to Gaia, an onboard Twilek Pop Star Diva, dinner would conservatively equal out to about a hundred dollars per person, or four hundred after two nights, bringing our tab to thirty-one fifty. Add in two tickets to Disney's Hollywood Studios, $126 plus tax during the date in question. Good lord tickets are v- very pricey now. That tax on 270 more dollars for a total thus far of 3420. The excursion on Batu is the trickiest to place, but I'll call it what it is. A kind of Galaxy's Edge VIP tour. You're given a special halcyon pin to identify yourself in the land to others, which comes up in future gameplay, and are whisked directly from your hotel into the land by way of a private, themed transport vehicle. Cast members on hand offer cold towels and bottles of water, and an on-site concierge assists with anything you may need during your stay. Package delivery, reservations, help with the special data pad activities you're privy to in the land, all of it, they are there for any need. Now, VIP tour guides famously allow you to have freewheeling time and skip ride lines at your whim, and the kind of ride passes provided to Halcyon guests for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run and Rise of the Resistance are open-ended ones, allowing you to ride whenever you'd like, or at least before the last shuttle departs at 4pm. That type of flexibility can't really be bought unless you have a VIP tour guide, so this is pretty notable. Disney VIP tour services cost between $425 to $850 per hour with a 7-hour minimum, which doesn't quite translate to what you're doing here. The Star Cruiser staff's assistance and those flexible ride passes are minimum on par with one hour of that style service, so I'll take the average price of a single VIP tour hour and add it up, $638, bringing the tab to $4,058. Now, I could go on and on about free soda and lattes and cappuccinos and the grab-and-go snacks and late-night eats, the six-hour stretches of live entertainment, even the included gratuity for waitstaff. But you can see how, even conservatively, we're creeping closer towards that $4,800 price tag. Add in that this is the most premium, exclusive experience Disney has ever offered, and one that's wholly themed, which boosts its worth, and the numbers, despite being painful kind of add up. Now, that Batuu detail wasn't known to me prior to setting sail, and I think it really tweaks the perspective of the price. I myself thought it was just a regular old trip to the land, and it really was not. I'm going to get deeper into this next week, but I can't even begin to explain how different I felt being in Batuu having stepped off of Star Cruiser. It really does something to your brain and makes you view the land completely differently. You may not find the Batuu element to be too compelling, but let me explain why it was so important to have that level of staff on hand. Our group had a hiccup in the land when Rise of the Resistance shut down in the afternoon, as it tends to do. When it reopened around 3pm, an hour prior to our shuttle doing last call, the Lightning Lane queue was backed up way too far for us to board in time. As we simply walked towards the extended queue to feel it out, a Star Cruiser employee positioned there, looking out for passengers, spotted our Halcyon badge, the one I told you about, and immediately approached us, whisking us away for a backdoor entry into the ride just before the first scene, guaranteeing we'd be able to ride it without it impacting our time back on the ship. That seamless kind of line-skipping, think-on-your-feet service? That's VIP tours, and it really set our trip apart from the standard day on Batu. And hey, the $15 worth of Galaxy's Edge water bottles I chugged for free didn't hurt either. That level of service really does extend throughout Galactic Starcruiser as well. Everyone from Gina, oh, Gina, my beloved server, to blissful dinners, to the cast members stationed in the ship atrium 24 hours a day for assistance, are committed to the story, simultaneously referencing their home planets, while also being able to help with any and everything you might need while on board. And while I have plenty to discuss next week as well, I really can't evaluate if this is worth it without discussing the accommodations. And boy oh boy, do I have a lot of feelings about this. Feelings you might not have heard anywhere else. Now the cabins? They are fantastic. The living spaces are completely in story. The emergency exit, which I've posted about in my Instagram in a room tour, is perhaps the smartest mix of design and function I've ever seen. And the windows, those viewports that look out onto space? Blend into the background by day two for a little bit of a mind trick that'll have you wholeheartedly believing you're truly in space. Speaking of, I've received so many questions about if I felt claustrophobic in the ship or in my room, and the answer is no, no, not one bit. I was almost hoping the two 17-hour stretches without sunlight would leave me a little bit wonky, but alas, the most prevalent feeling I had was exhaustion from the combination of activities, socializing, entertainment, work... Even sleeping in the top bunk was wonderful. Ugh, the blissful top bunk. It's padded all the way around so you can sit up comfortably and won't boink your head if you're bad at climbing stairs. I mean, I'm 5'7 and a half and I fit in it great. Not a single problem at any point. Besides the fact that there are no chargers? Up in the bed, there's no chargers, there's no shelf, and there's only one USB plug in the room, which I'm still feeling a bit gripey about. Friends, pack your squares. Pack your little squares. You're gonna need them. Now, back to the bed. The main bed is more of a mattress. Well, the bunk bed is more of a mattress pad, but it was firmer, which I preferred, and I slept great. As did my friend Alex, who was traveling with me. We both dreamed about space? (laughs) (laughs) completely separate from each other so I feel like it's proof enough that the concept is solid, that I was asleep in space dreaming about space. Photos do not do this cabin justice because it's definitely big enough. There's a massive space beneath the bed for luggage, two closets, one for hanging, one with those deep, wide shelves for storage, and a separate vanity in the entrance hallway. So, not only is there space to move around, there are different places for people and things to go, which separates it nicely. I gotta say, it's one of my favorite Disney World hotel room designs, bar none. But it ain't perfect, because we gotta talk about the amenities. Now... One of my biggest peeves with Disney hotels is that something like a deluxe hotel is priced as a luxury offering and branded as a luxury offering, but doesn't actually include anything a proper luxury hotel would have. No umbrella, rarely slippers, no bottles of water in the room, a mini bar with snacks available for purchase, a freaking duvet or comforter. These days, places like Grand Floridians sometimes don't even have paper and pen. And we're not going to use COVID as an excuse for this anymore. The moment safety precautions in the park go out the window, so does that reasoning. So you can only imagine me, someone who would absolutely be reviewing luxury hotels worldwide if she didn't love themed rides and waterfront kite shows so much, walking into Galactic Star Cruiser, beaming with delight to experience a true luxury-level Disney World hotel room. So what if we had to hypothetically leave this planet to experience it? It was here. And it did not deliver. Let me tell you, if you're paying thousands of dollars to be mentally, physically transported to the deepest stretches of the galaxy, pray tell, why does the carafe of water in your room taste like eggs? I was not anticipating the first thing to take me out of the story to be Florida well water, but alas, it happened. And that is my truth. And I don't say this to nitpick. It's just that a small thing like that undercuts all of the immense tireless work Walt Disney Imagineering has done to convince you that you are in space, despite essentially being in the extended parking lot of Disney's Hollywood Studios. I mention it, too, because if you are paying this much to go on a trip like this, that's expensive both in reality and in theme, you shouldn't be left wondering why there's no bar of soap in the shower despite there being a soap dish. You shouldn't be using body lotion that's permanently affixed to the wall. Oh yeah, not just shampoo, conditioner, and shower gel and pumps. Lotion, hand soap, all of it. Each product was by H2O, which of course we all love, and every room was given a tin of face wipes and bubble face masks, which was adorable. But as cute as it was, I remain not impressed, as toiletry tins are standard in Disney hotels outside America for every room type. So maybe just don't go into this experience expecting it to be the same level of luxury by those standards as I was hoping for. If you're among the many wondering if Galactic Star Cruiser is a good fit for you, either now or in the future, allow me to do my best to guide you on this journey. The party line indicates that this is good for any mix of people friends, families, couples but in reality, it is better for some than others. Galactic Star Cruiser is great for families. The gameplay is all family-friendly, all official activities end around 10pm, and even if a dad or a child isn't a major fan, there's enough to experience together that makes it worthwhile, because witnessing kids take part in these activities is extremely adorable. When it comes to the best age for something like this, the most significant cutoff I can provide is that of lightsaber training, which is ages 7 and up. But my good pal Brooke McDonald highlighted the alternative training activity offered for younger kids at Better Chicago or Better.net. Again, all ages are welcome on Star Cruiser, but I'd loosely recommend ages 4 and up, I think. It's also pretty great for groups of friends because it's easy to spend time together as a group on Batu and then split up when you're back on board to accomplish different objectives. Yes, the activities do lean a bit younger and aren't as challenging for adults, especially ones who may be proficient in gaming. But it won't take away from your experience. You'll still be able to follow your own Star Wars story. And what's nice about having a group is that you'll still have a vacation vibe, regardless of what happens each day. You'll have dinner together both nights. You'll be able to hang out inside or around Sublight Lounge, eating snacks, sipping cocktails and mocktails until the wee hours, since it stays open pretty late. So that component of it will definitely happen. Solo travelers will get plenty out of it as well, despite the cost of solo traveling being somewhat prohibitive. But I think this really only works for a couple, whether friends or romantically involved, if both of you are into it. With a group or a family, you can commiserate about your missions or try to sabotage a parent and more easily balance out people who are more into it with others who aren't. But if you're all in and you're two people and your friend or spouse is just actively disinterested in the storyline, I could see it being a major downer for both of you. Now, all of that has nothing to do with your knowledge level of Star Wars and the film franchise as a whole. I got so many questions about this, but the truth is, Everyone knows enough about Star Wars to know what's happening here. The friendly beeping droid? Good guy. The extremely firm army lieutenant flanked by two soldiers in full body suits who lifelessly utter commands? Bad guys. So as long as you have that kind of pedestrian knowledge of light side and dark side, you should be totally fine. The most important thing here is just to be game for all of it. Simply wanting to go to a themed overnight space camp is enough, but those well-versed in Star Wars stuff will get more out of the journey than others. As a self-described middling Star Wars fan, I didn't find the experience to go over my head, but certain item names or references or character details that true Star Wars heads were enamored by just didn't register with me in a similar way same for character interactions. It's never really been a dream of mine to go on an adventure with Chewbacca, but for others, it was enlightening, and I fully respect that. Now, would I pay to go on Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser? I'm asked that daily, and the answer is, I would, but that's not the best data point for you to pull from. I am unable to separate myself from what I do, and there's really no world in which Disney would open a new something or other and I wouldn't find a way to experience it, regardless of the price tag, since that's my job. But I wouldn't return right away simply because I don't have people (laughs) to go with. My mom wouldn't appreciate it. My husband would never come with. But will I book a room with my Star Wars-obsessed brother and sister-in-law when my nephew is slightly older? One thousand percent yes, I would. He just took his first trip to Galaxy's Edge and adored it, and once he's a little bit older and well-versed in the storylines, I will happily fork over my share of money to see his little face light up from stepping on board a ship and joining the First Order. Since he will TOTALLY join the First Order. I know it. I feel it in my bones. So is it all worth it? To me, yes. But is it worth it to you? That's the real question. And I've figured out a way to help you get there after this message from our sponsors.
1: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin. All year round. Entrusted Hannah Quality for your most precious gift, Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.
2: Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?
0: So the name of the game is figuring out if this is a good experience for you. As a fan of magazine quizzes, I hoped to adopt that format to help you figure out if this is a a good fit for your vacation goals, but it kind of fell apart and didn't make sense in an audio format, so we're just going to break it up into categories, starting out with some general deal breakers. If you are looking for a relaxing vacation, this is not for you. If no one in your family is interested in Star Wars, this is not for you. If you only go to Disney World for the rides and nothing else, or find it to be exhausting in a bad way, this is also most likely not for you. When you're a Star Cruiser, you will be actively participating in things. The fast paced results in you needing to jam in certain things because you will only do them once and they only happen once during your trip. You board and then you bounce. Almost immediately, it feels like. And if you're not interested now, you're not going to get more interested in tireless Star Wars-themed odd jobs in the future. It's okay. Not everything is for everyone. Don't sweat it. It's better to know definitively one way or the other than to be stuck in between. Now, for my cruise people, if you're a Star Wars fan who enjoys Disney Cruise Line vacations, this is a great option for you. If you enjoy the service on Disney Cruise Line and chit-chatting with servers and staff or doing activities like Midship Detectives Agency, this is a great option for you. And if you like to try new foods, even at breakfast time, this is a really good option for you. If having a kind, thoughtful, dedicated server at dinner two nights in a row who brings you a set menu of colorful and intriguing yet familiarly delicious space foods sounds fun, welcome to the day you start saving up for Galactic Star Cruiser because that was one of my absolute favorite parts and what I miss most. As excited as I was about the food, I know it has led to a lot of concerns. I've gotten plenty of questions about food allergies and intolerances, and want you to know they are handled both in advance of your visit as well as upon your arrival, when you can have a little chit-chat with staff who will confirm any of those restrictions. Beyond that, the self-serve breakfast and lunch meals have signs indicating which is free of allergens or plant-based, but the way it's all set up, there is so much staff on hand even at those meals that you can just tell them if you need something without a meat product on it or without a sauce, and I'm told they will happily bring it out to you. There is something accessible even for picky eaters at all meals. Breakfast even has a delightful circular waffle as good as the Mickey-shaped ones, with the symbol of the halcyon imprinted on it, and the same goes for dinner time, which is table service with a set menu, although it works a bit differently. These meals are protein-forward, but they even have options readily available for people who simply prefer chicken to, say, whitefish or short rib. There are plant-based mains each night, which are available for whoever needs them, and there's also a children's menu with no age restriction, which I add because I totally tried some of the ched-cheesy beef dumplings. If you're a bit freaked out by Space Grub, just know there is cheese pizza, chicken skewers, chicken breast nuggets, kind of like the tip-yip from Docking Bay 7 and Galaxy's Edge, and a selection of healthy appetizers and veggie sides to choose from as well. And, oh, 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 the blue shrimp. If you saw that and were like, I gotta have me some of that, first of all, wow, respect. (laughs) Second of all, yeah, you passed the Star Cruiser initiation test. I myself was a naysayer but was quickly proven wrong. It was extremely delicious, very good quality tiger shrimp with a wonderful cocktail sauce. It was simply a delight to eat, which I will never, ever say again about flu food. But if you aren't on board with that, don't worry, skipping it isn't a problem. It really all comes down to this. If the idea of doing activities to help the resistance or quote unquote hacking into a mainframe sounds appealing, you will very much dig what is happening on board. But if you're more of a general Star Wars fan and a general theme park fan who's trying to gauge if you'll like it or if you'll get enough out of it, I recommend using Galaxy's Edge as your barometer. If you own nothing from Galaxy's Edge and really only pop in there for the rides, this might not be for you. If you could care less about the Play Disney Parks app or the Datapad, which currently works in Galaxy's Edge separate from a cruiser stay, this may or may not be a good fit for you. Do you want to discover new spaces, uncover cargo holds, and explore a Star Wars-inspired ship on your own? Or would you rather kick back and ride Rise of the Resistance another time? If your answer is the latter, this might not be the best fit for you. Basically, if having Blue Milk on tap and Chewie as a fellow passenger doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot of fun, you probably shouldn't splurge on this trip. But if you go to Galaxy's Edge and are delighted to see a stormtrooper or interact with Kylo Ren on Black Spire Outpost, this is absolutely for you. If you've ever wished you could wander around the land with Rey, this is for you. And if you hate how busy Oga's Cantina is, or conversely, enjoy being there regardless, Star Cruiser might be a good choice for you. I know it sounds contradictory, but let me break it down. If you would benefit from freely wandering into a more upscale version of Batuu's watering Hole without crowds, reservations, or the absolute chaos outside its front door any day of the week, you will adore Sublight Lounge as much as I did. I love the idea of Ogas, but hate everything about the slog that is visiting there. The struggle to get a reservation, only to wait in a line to check in, and be shoved into a place at a table that is ALWAYS already occupied or being shoved towards the bar and being told to elbow your way in to claim your sliver of space, it's misery to me, and that's even before the two-drink limit. DJ Rex is, incredible, and the interiors are fab, but the ship's lounge is really phenomenal in comparison. A menu of half-space cocktails, half-standards like Old Fashion's and Manhattans, along with spirits on hand, which Oga's has never had, and a complimentary food menu. Does that mean if you're listening to this, you're likely to start longing for a space Negroni before passing out in that padded capsule of an upper bunk bed? Unfortunately, yes. Yes, you will. And if you're a fan of the character interactions in Galaxy's Edge, you'll basically be doing that for days on end, to a whole new degree. Making this a solid choice for you, or at least something to look forward to saving up for. Again, no one can decide for you if this is a good fit. Except for you, but I hope I was at least able to push you in the right direction, whether or not that means you coming on board. If you have any questions about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, feel free to call into the Churros hotline at 747 Churros, and we will answer them further in next week's episode when we discuss what actually happens aboard this ship over the course of two evenings. Till then, let's turn it over to the hotline. <laughs>
2: Hi Carly, this is David in Pittsburgh, and I have two questions. One, uh, what is the source of the very amusing music? And two, uh, should we start a hashtag to get your dad to leave a voicemail on the podcast? Love the show. Bye.
0: So I may or may not have had to go into my 2020 expenses to figure out where I did, in fact, find this theme music. But I downloaded it from Premium Beats, which is basically just an internet database of uh, music you can license. And it's called Funny Pie by Alexis Messier, is how I assume you pronounce Alexis's last name. And I remember being so enamored by it because I wanted something that had a vibe you know it didn't just sound like background music in a random youtube video about like a nice bright day for a picnic in the park i really wanted it to feel like as kooky as main street music but in a different realm which i think alexis nailed because i will read you alexis's bio alexis is a guitarist multi-instrumentalist musical director and composer from montreal he has been working as a guitar player and musical director for cirque du soleil for several years. And that sold me. I remember seeing that when I had a bunch of files um, favorited on the website. I was deciding between them. There was one that was very Klezmer band-y, but it didn't really fit right. And once I read that Alexis was part of Cirque, it had me sold. (laughs) As for the dad voicemail... I mean, I, I could have him call in, but I promise he won't have the same pep in his step as my mother does, uh, nor the shared interest and obsession for all things Disney that she has. Uh, but maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in the idea bank. Uh, and I appreciate the suggestion. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Hey, Carly, it's Skylar here. When are we going to talk about Run Disney? When are we going to talk about if races are ever coming to California again? And when are you going to participate in at least one race with your friends, Brooke and Michael? Thanks. Bye. Oh, Skylar, uh, really wish I wouldn't have eaten a bunch of Kit Kats. (laughs) Before answering this call. But the truth is we're probably never going to talk about Run Disney. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know people love it. I've done Run Disney. I did it once. And frankly, it is so deeply not for me that I don't even think I can find a way to shove it in on this podcast because it is just the opposite of what I enjoy. To me, buying clothes specifically to, to throw them to the side, like you buy a jacket and then you're like, good day to you. And then it gets donated somewhere random. Like I, I buy clothes and I like to hold on to them for a lifetime. I also don't like waking up at what? 3 a.m. to run. I don't even like working out in the mornings. My sweet spot is like 12 o'clock or 4 p.m. I don't want to do that much movement when I when I've barely been awake before I've had a bowel movement. <laughs> I'm sorry to any children listening, but it's a way of life. Everybody does it. So what? It's just not for me. I appreciate people who do it. I deeply respect people who deliberately choose to exercise on vacation because that is something I will probably never be able to do but um, no, I would not I would not expect any Run Disney content anytime soon simply because I did one race once at Disneyland and I ran a half marathon without training for it did a great job, very proud of myself the next day I went on what I think they call a shakeout run, twisted my ankle, have never recovered from it, went to physical therapy for years, so I'm a little scarred <laughs> both emotionally and physically from the experience so sadly to all the run disney fans out there uh probably won't make an appearance here on very amusing but i applaud you from afar and i will cheer you on in your endeavors thanks for calling For listening, and be sure to tune in next week for part two of our Star Wars Bonanza. You can find more of my Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser coverage on eater.com. I'll put a link to my big story in the show notes. And stay tuned to my Instagram later this week for a Star Cruiser merch giveaway! Yes, I am kind of playing Space Santa and bought some goodies on board to give out to one lucky follower. So don't miss that on my Instagram at Carly Weisel, on Friday morning, most likely. Most likely Friday morning friday morning we're just gonna go with it now we are back up and running and welcome any and all churros hotline calls give us a ring at 747 churros with your theme park mysteries or musings and it may be used on a future episode Please like, follow, and subscribe to Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts, as well as on Spotify, which now allows ratings. Woo! Ratings and reviews are a huge deal, and since we took an extended break, I assume the podcast algorithm just assumes we... god we had one so if you could plop out a few kind words or just click some stars to say you approve of this i don't know silly little corner of the internet i and the rest of the team would greatly appreciate it and you you can find me carly weisel at carly weisel on twitter instagram and blur TikTok. Ugh, i hate it there but alas i have been forced into participating This podcast was edited terribly by me last night because I am still down to the wire on Star Cruiser deadlines. Jeff Fox and his glorious audio stylings will be back shortly. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon.
1: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby.
2: First of all, I don't know what a dongle is, but you'll tell me that later. This was a great episode, and I loved the, the way you put it together. Karen was so funny. I don't remember that story about the Star Wars gym shoes with Mark Hamill's face on him when he met Mark Hamill. I was dying. That was so good. The Miss Piggy was great. The Robin Lopez was great. Um, and Malcolm Gladwell was great. It was just a wonderful year. It's gone by so fast. But the caller who called up towards the end about Goofy's style was cracking me up. He said, the one you wanted to get with him? I'm like, it's so funny. But getting back to the Robin Robin Hood versus Goofy, I'm with Goofy 100%, hands down. I don't get the Fox thing, but I know you don't want to talk about it. But I'm on your side with the Goofy for sure. But I loved this 2021 finale. It was really good. It was so entertaining. I found myself laughing out loud. And I just want to say congratulations on 2021 Very Amusing Podcast. And, honey, you earned those five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcast. It's been a great year. I just want to wish everyone a very happy and healthy holiday season and a happy new year. Be safe, you all out there. I love you, Carly. Bye, sweetheart.